Thanks for joining us for this week's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Over the years, Orion's recruiters have seen a significant difference in the success rates of military job seekers who invested the time to read professional books as they prepared for their transition versus those who did not. The right books can help you be more comfortable in an interview setting and better articulate your background and professional experience to the interviewer. One book that provides insight into everything from researching yourself and estimating your market value to types of interviews and salary negotiations is Tom Wolfe's Out of Uniform, your guide to successful military to civilian career transition. Tom recently released the second edition of his successful book. This book is truly a guide to all things you need to know to succeed in your military transition. In this podcast, I'm joined by Tom to discuss some of the highlights from his book, as well as advice for military job seekers. This book covers lots of valuable information, so we've split this podcast episode into two. Make sure you check back to listen to part two next week. If you're listening to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, make sure you subscribe and share with a friend. We'd love to get your feedback, so make sure you give us a rating as well. If you have any questions about this interview or topics for a future podcast, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hi, Tom. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, Megan. How are you today? I'm great. Um, I wanted to have you on to talk about your book, Out of Uniform, Your Guide to Successful Transition um, from Your Military to Civilian, civilian Career. Um, you just came out with the second edition, so that's exciting. I want to talk a little bit more about that, but as I was reading through it in preparation for our discussion, I found myself highlighting almost every other sentence, so I know we'll have a lot to talk about today. Well, that's good. Hopefully, uh, you would, I guess if you only highlighted one sentence, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> exactly. Well, there's a lot of great advice. I'm sure we could talk for hours about it, but you know, for the sake of this podcast, we'll talk through some of the key takeaways. But before we discuss the book, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? I would be happy to. Uh, my name is Tom Wolf. Um, I'm a former naval officer. Um, that's my veteran status. I'm also a career coach. I also spent a big chunk of my career um, as a recruiter, and um, I'm an author and a columnist. Um, I graduated from the Naval Academy, chose surface warfare as my specialty, spent uh, six years in the Navy, mostly driving ships uh, all around the world. Uh, my last couple of years, I was an admiral's aide. Uh, when I got out, um, there's a long story and a short story, but the short story is I ended up in the military to civilian recruiting and placement business, uh, did that for about 25 years, took some time off, wrote the first edition of my book, launched a career coaching practice, and uh, I now uh, live on the uh, North Carolina coast about halfway between Myrtle Beach and Wilmington. That's awesome. So from your time in the military to now, your time, or not now, but your time as a career coach, you pretty much have all your bases covered. So you obviously have a lot of great advice from not only your own experience, but then what you've, what you've seen with veterans after you transitioned and then you were helping people that were in your shoes before. Um, so you know, before we start talking a little bit more about the book, I know you just mentioned that you released your book, but what led you to the release of the second edition of the Out of Uniform book? Uh, that, it's an interesting story. Um, about two years ago, 
one of my daughters was rereading my book and she um her profession she's in the social media arena mm -hmm. said uh, dad this book needs help she said <laughs> it's 90% great stuff but the social media has changed everything so you might want to think about um rewriting it or a new edition or a new book or something at the same time that conversation was happening megan coincidentally um, the university of nebraska press was in the process of purchasing um, a, a publishing company called potomac books and in the process of publishing potomac books nebraska inherited or or acquired um, dozens of titles a few of them they decided to get rid of a few of them they decided to automatically no-brainer keep and then there was a couple and, and my book was in that category where they really loved my book but they realized it was a little outdated and they were think they called me and said we'd like to retain your book but only if you'll write a new edition so i got it from two ends and i said okay time to get started and primarily because of the importance and the impact of social media on a job search. Uh, a funny story, Megan, 10 years ago, nine years ago, when I was starting to write the first edition, um, the term social media did not exist. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I forgot about it back then. It, it was just it was not an issue back then. But now it is such an issue that having an inappropriate or insufficient or uh, however you would like to describe it, but having a social media presence that is not excellent, it's like 12 years ago having a resume that was not excellent. That's how things have changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of times it's like your um, first impression, really, because a lot of recruiters use it when they're researching candidates before they even decide to give you a call about your resume. So it's definitely important. And like you said, it's changing all the time, but I know you have a lot of really good tips about, um, you know, the current landscape of social media and kind of how to use it in your job search and make sure that you, like you said, have an excellent profile and you're putting your best face forward. Yes, very important. Top, should be the yeah. top people's list. Make sure mm -hmm. my, make sure my digital um, appearance is something that I would be proud to share with family and a potential employer. Yeah, that's very good advice. So, you know, social media is obviously something that has impacted recruiting for both the employer and then also for the candidate. But based on your many years of experience in the military transition space, what are some of the things that have changed the most? And then on the flip side, are there anything that has kind of stayed the same? Um, well, I think we've 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 touched on the biggest change, and that, of course, is the the power of social media. And as you pointed out, that power comes from two directions. Companies love social media platforms because it's a way for them to uh, source candidates. That's kind of obvious. It's also a way for them to vet candidates. Almost the, the process of doing a reference check upfront as opposed to the traditional way of doing it at the end. Uh, they can vet candidates. And the other thing they can do, they can use social media 
to uh, expand and enhance their brand, to put their brand out there and get it associated with the military um, employee marketplace. So companies mm-hmm. primarily for those three reasons. Uh, one, one more interesting reason, I was interviewing the um, vice president of human resources at the Vanguard Group, and she shared with me that, and I was not aware of this, she shared with me that what Vanguard does when, when they get a, an application or a resume or a referral or an internal referral, one of the first things they do, they, they find that person um, on the social media platforms, primarily LinkedIn, but also the others, and they look to see if that person, how interested, how engaged is that person with Vanguard? Do they follow Vanguard? Do they participate in the discussion and the conversation on Vanguard? And if they do, then Vanguard takes that as a signal that this person is sincerely interested. If they Mm -hmm. don't, then Vanguard moves on to the next candidate. Now, candidates on the other side of the coin, candidates love, should love social media because it is a way to research companies. It is a way to find contacts within those companies. It is a way to turn those contacts um, through networking into interviews. And it's a way to get a sense of the corporate culture, the style, uh, the the mission, the attitude of the company um, to make sure that not only perhaps they have a job that interests you, but you also want to make sure that they have a corporate culture that matches up well with your expectations. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good advice. I think if you if it's leveraged the way that it should be on both ends, it really can tell you all you need to know about a person or a company, um, like you said, from a cultural standpoint. I think that's something that is overlooked a lot of times, especially if, say, someone's just transitioning out of the military and maybe you're kind of in a rush to get a job. You might overlook that aspect of it, but really the cultural fit is something that most likely is going to be the most important thing to you. There's that, you know, people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. So I think making sure it's a good cultural fit is definitely one of the top priorities you should have. Yes, Megan, I think that's uh, very important and, and well said. Now I can flip over and talk about your other question, which was what has stayed the same? Mm-hmm. Um, what I have found throughout all the years is when a company, now I'm, I'm talking specifically about organizations and companies that have a preference for hiring veterans, perhaps more specifically hiring people coming out of the military, um, people who have worn the uniform in the service of our country. There are three reasons, you know, there were three reasons 30 years ago why those companies did that. And those three reasons are the same today. Reason number one is perhaps they are very interested in that individual's experience. There's something about the experience, the content of the jobs that they have held that makes that person attractive to them. However, that's not enough. They're also interested in that person's potential. Now, what potential means is we take our experience, we demonstrate that we've done what we've done and we've done it well, 
And that indicates to the next employer that what I do, I do well, so give me a shot. And even though your job and even though your mission and even though your approach and your business is different than what I'm used to in the military, I'm, I'm bright, I'm motivated, I will learn, I have potential, give me a shot. Now the final, the final one is sort of a hybrid. You don't want to go to work for a company only because of your potential, because that's like day one of entry level and all of a sudden you're 19 or 22 years old again. You're not gonna be happy with that paycheck. On the other end, you don't really wanna go to work only for your experience, because that means you're being plugged into a, a job simply because your square peg fits that square hole. Notice that they're hiring you to do a specific job based upon the jobs you've already done, and that might not indicate much room for growth. So the companies that have successfully hired and developed military personnel are the companies that have figured out a way to hire you for a combination of potential and experience. That has not changed. I think it's interesting that you bring up, um, you know, just being hired for your experience in the whole, you know, example of a um, square peg, square hole, because I know I saw a statistic pretty recently that over 50% of veterans after they leave active duty actually want to pursue a career that was different from what they did in the military. And so um, for that reason, I think the second one you mentioned, the potential, that's why that one is so big, because, you know, you might have the potential to do something that wasn't necessarily on your resume, but you have the um, skills and life experience to be able to adapt to that particular role. So I think that those are really good points that you brought up. Well, Megan, that statistic confirms something that I mentioned in my book. In all the years I was recruiting, I would say half of the candidates that I placed, they went to work for companies that they had prior knowledge of and into jobs that they were aware of before their job search started. Half mm -hmm. of them did that. The other half ended up in jobs they never thought about working for companies they never heard of. So the moral of that story is you don't know what you don't know. So therefore, when you at least as you initiate your job search, as, at least as you're going out there and trying to discover your options, don't ignore the fact that what's best for you might be something that you don't know about when your job search begins. Yes, exactly. And I think that's kind of the importance of working with a recruiter, which we'll talk about later down the road, so not to get ahead of ourselves here. But I think that that's something that I always hear our recruiters say is, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So don't assume because think about all of the, you know, Fortune 500 companies. First of all, you probably don't know about all of them on the list. But even if you do, there are so many other companies in America that are great companies to go work for that you likely don't know about. And so getting educated about them, like we said earlier, with culture, um, you could have a company that you've never heard of that's a great cultural fit for you. And it ends up being the best job that you never knew that you wanted. So it's all about having an open mind and having that perspective. I like what you, I'm going to quote you, the best job you never knew you wanted. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to steal it. Definitely. You can use it in your third edition book because since social media is changing so much, you might have to have that one too. Yeah. I mean, kind of scares me, but you never know. 
<laughs> yeah. So, you know, for people that have decided to transition, um, there's definitely lots that we could talk about here because, as I said, your book provides so much great advice on it. But I thought we could break it into some of the major phases of transition. So the first one for that would be figuring out what you want to do. And one thing I really liked from your book, and I'll just go ahead and read a little passage here. You said, I want you to ignore whether or not you're qualified to do it, whether or not the job is out there, whether or not the associated quality of life would make your family happy, and whether or not you could even earn a living doing it. Now tell me, what would you really like to do for a living? I really liked that passage. I thought it was great. So I wondered if you could expand on that a little bit and then also just talk in general about figuring out what you want to do. That um, that excerpt illustrates what I think is something that is very important, Megan, and, and it's a mistake that many uh, military to civilian job seekers make up front. They feel a lot of pressure that they're supposed to walk in the door um, kick off their job search and know exactly what they want to do from day one. Well, that that advice um, probably is is valid for civilians who are seeking civilian jobs because you know they know the vocabulary, they know the the job titles, they know what's out there. Um, they can move from you know, one version of, uh, of job ABC to a similar version of job ABC in a different company, and the terminology tends to stay the same. Now, military personnel in general, um, they're not that familiar with the civilian sector, especially when it comes to job titles and content associated with those titles. So what I suggest is Rather than focus on what do you want to do, you should focus on who are you, what makes you tick, what are your strengths, what are your attributes, uh, what are your skills, what are your positive traits, you know, what's in your head, what's in your heart, what's in your gut. Um, if, if you can share with someone uh, the answer to that question, then that person can help you target the right opportunity. Or if you're like most people, you'll probably end up at least initially targeting multiple opportunities. Uh, you'll, you'll start off interviewing for jobs for which you are qualified. And through the process of elimination, you'll end up with the job that you're not only qualified for, but it's a job you are excited about. And that job happens to sound exactly like the job you just accepted. So in essence, you have added your job objective to the resume when your job search is over, not before it begins. That's a recommendation that I have. And that's, we're primarily talking about a concept of self-knowledge, mm -hmm. understanding the self and being able to share that with individuals that can help you make the appropriate matches. The importance of researching yourself. I know that's something that we tell military candidates all the time because I think you can say, you can look at your resume, and I think it's probably easy to do for anyone looking for a job. You kind of look at your resume, and that's how you go about your job search. You say, okay, what am I qualified to do? And it's really easy to have, you know, these self limiting thoughts where you think, okay, well, maybe I'm not qualified 
for this or I don't have experience in this particular field. But I think as long as you have what you're talking about, you research yourself and you have that self-knowledge, you really can um, find something that you're not only qualified for, but you're also excited about. And Megan, let me add to that. Um, another important drill is to um, early on in, in the preparation phase, when, when an individual is thinking about separating from the military and finding uh, the right civilian job, um, it, it's a good idea to force yourself to delineate what's really important to you. You know, what matters to you? you know, what do you care about? Um, what, what types of, of things do you need in a job to keep you happy? What do you need in your quality of life to keep you and or your family happy? You're coming up with a list. And, and, and the bigger, the longer the list, the, the more value you'll get out of this list. I encourage my candidates and my clients to make a list of what is important. And then I encourage them to prioritize that list. And then I have them go back and take that big list and divide it into two sub lists. One is called needs and the other is called wants. Now, many people think that needs and wants are the same thing. But if you look at it very closely, they are they're very different. And you can trace a lot of poor job searches and a lot of mismatched acceptances of jobs to taking a job because it seemed to satisfy your wants, but you neglected to make sure that it would also satisfy your needs. So becoming aware of both your needs and your wants, try to find a job that satisfies all of your needs. And if you get really lucky and you get more than one offer that satisfies all your needs, then you can use your wants list as a tiebreaker. And I think you have a pretty good example and illustrated example in your book of what those lists could look like. So I would, of course, encourage everybody listening to get a copy of the book because I saw that diagram and I thought it would be nice and a good example for someone who was going to take your advice and make that list for themselves. So I think the list kind of serves as the search criteria, which was the next question I was going to ask you. But um, what about flexibility? Because I know sometimes military job seekers want to be in a certain location or, um, you know, maybe there's one thing that they're not willing to budge on. But what would you say about the value of flexibility in your job search? Flexibility, it's uh, its an interesting word. Um, we can be flexible in our lives. It's easier to be flexible early in our life, life than it is to be flexible later in our life. And that applies to both job hunting and career development as much as it does to physical health. So if you're going to use flexibility, as a an asset, then you're going to you need to use it early on in your career because you don't get more flexible as your career develops. You get less flexible. Now, flexibility. What does flexibility mean? Well, it means that when you look at your list of needs and perhaps wants, there are some things on that that are very important to you. 
They might even be non-starters. They might even be givens. They have to be. Here's an example. Let's say that you are the parent of a special needs child, and that special needs child can only get the appropriate care at certain locations throughout the country. Well, that's that's not a want on your part. You don't want access to that city. You need access to that city and it's non-negotiable. So that goes to the top of your list. The more the more stringent, the more filters you put on your job search, the more important it is to make up for that restriction by becoming more flexible on other issues. Uh, filters do two things in any system, uh, one good and one not so good. The good thing a filter does is it gets rid of impurities. We, there's no need to look at what passes through the filter if the filter is getting, let me back up on that. We, we don't want to focus on things that don't pass through our filters. Now, if you, if you put your most important filter in the system right away, then you're gonna be doing two things. You're going to increase the quality of what comes out of the end of the system, but you're going to decrease the flow. And the more you decrease the flow, the more it's going to be important to try to develop flexibility in other areas. Maybe you're restricted to only living in Chicago, but because of that, maybe you'll flex a little bit on starting salary or maybe you'll flex a little bit on the amount of travel that you're willing to do, or maybe you'll flex a little bit on the size of the company. But flexibility becomes important if you have very restrictive targets or if your marketability is a little bit suspect. If you're not as marketable as the average candidate, perhaps you can make up for some of that by being more flexible than the average candidate. I think that's great advice. It's important for military job seekers to know their value and know their worth, but it's also important for them to understand that you're probably not going to get every single box checked in a career that you want. And I mean, that's natural. It's not just for military job seekers. So I think the advice that you gave was perfect in that you don't want to close yourself off to opportunities by, you know, putting your must-haves first, but then at the same time, you want to make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, you're accepting something that is a good fit for you. You like it. You can flex on certain things, but it's not going to be, you know, chalking everything up to a loss and not getting what you want. But you just have to understand that it likely will not have all of the must-haves, at least at the very beginning. I used to illustrate that exact point. I would say to someone, you want an A-grade opportunity in an A-grade location. You're too good to accept a B-grade opportunity in a B-grade location. So the question to you is, what's more important, an A-grade opportunity in a B-grade location or a B-grade opportunity in an A-grade location? That depends upon your priorities, that depends upon the filters, and that indicates how important flexibility might be in your particular case. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think 
you definitely covered um, the criteria and flexibility. I think that's great. So now that we've kind of gotten on our way to figuring out what we want to do, I want to skip ahead a little bit to interviewing successfully, although I know that there's quite a few steps in between where we were and where we're going that you've covered in great detail in the book. So um, moving on to interviews, though, I wanted to talk about the six P's. I thought that was um, great when I was reading in the book, definitely something I highlighted. So I thought you could expand upon that. Tell us what the six P's are and why they're important during the interview process. Would, would you like me to start off by reading the excerpt? Sure. Yeah, that would be great. Career transition can elicit a broad range of emotions from, from elation to frustration, from glee to disappointment, from pleasant surprise to disbelief. The typical job seeker will likely experience all of them. Keeping the six Ps in mind will help you maintain your perspective during this wild ride and enhance your chances of a successful landing. We can look at the six Ps, patience, persistence, preparedness, professionalism, presentation, and politeness. It's the first two are, I always find kind of funny when I'm discussing this. I want you to be patient. I want you to realize that your priority list is different than the priority list of a potential employer. You are at the top of your priority list you are not at the top of their priority list. That requires patience. Um, they're allowed to keep you waiting. You're not allowed to keep them waiting. Persistence. Persistence seems to fly in the face of uh, patience. Persistence means you're not going to give up, um, but at the same time, you're going to balance that by not becoming a pest. You wanna make sure that you stay on top of things, Make sure that you do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it and take the, the appropriate follow-up steps. You stick to the timeline, you stick to the plan, even though sometimes they don't. That's persistence. Preparedness, this is easy for military people. Um, in, when we are in a war fighting mode, our mission is fight the wars. When we're not in a war fighting mode, or even if we are, our mission becomes readiness, being ready to accomplish the mission. Preparedness is the same thing as being ready. You have the opportunity to prepare for your job search before it begins, and there's an expectation that you will do so, and if you're not properly prepared, you run the risk that a company will use that against you because they will identify other candidates just like you equally qualified, equally likable, but they're better prepared than are you. Professionalism, again, this one's sort of a no-brainer for military people. Um, dress the part, act the part, follow up, be courteous, be kind, be civil, be polite, um, ask questions in the appropriate manner, Treat people the right way. Uh, allow your professionalism that comes with wearing the uniform translate into professionalism when you put on your interviewing suit. Presentation. The old adage, you, you never have a second chance to make a first impression. Um, that is very true. 
First impressions are very important. How will you present yourself both digitally? We've already mentioned your digital presence. How will you present yourself in terms of photographs? How will you present yourself in terms of the interview that you participate in, whether it's on the phone or whether it's a video interview or whether it's in person, your presentation will be very important. And then finally, polite. You know, one of the most overlooked yet most powerful um, attributes that a person can have is simply being kind, you know, having some empathy, thinking about the other person's position. Um, don't get all wrapped up in yourself. Uh, and whatever the situation might be, just continue to be polite, continue to smile, continue to keep a good attitude. Those six Ps taken all together, I think are, are pretty good measuring sticks to stay grounded in your job search, um, make sure that you're doing the right things at the right time and presenting yourself appropriately. Mm -hmm. And we all love lists and acronyms and things that are easy to remember. So I think the six P's are great. And hopefully everyone um, will remember those. And just as a recap, it's patience, persistence, preparedness, professionalism, presentation, and politeness. So thank you for going through all of those. I think you did a good job explaining all of them. And I think it would be great for everyone to keep that in mind during the interview process. So politeness is one of the ones that kind of leads me to the next point that I'm going to make um, during this interview is that I know you brought up something in the book that I will get to here in a second, but it's more about personality, kind of, you know, how you're interacting with people. Um, people like to work with people that they like and that they can relate to. They can see themselves hanging out with them outside of work. And so um, one of the things I want to talk about was the airplane test that you mentioned in the book. So I want to talk about the importance of being memorable. And one of the stories that you gave in the book is that you used to work with a consulting firm that liked to hire candidates with military backgrounds, but um, they were a little bit picky about those candidates that they hired. And so um, you were talking to a woman named Marion who worked at this firm and um, were basically asking her, hey, how can I improve my batting average here and make sure that I'm getting you the candidates that you want to see? So just to read um, a brief excerpt from the book, you said, Regardless of the strength of the resume or how well the candidate tests for the position, in the end, it comes down to personality, specifically things like listening skills, empathy, sense of humor, appropriateness, manners, courtesy, energy, and enthusiasm. Are you the kind of person Marion wants on her team? The results of the airplane test will do much to help her answer that question. So can you tell us a little bit about the airplane test? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to. I like this story. Um, unlike some stories I tell, this one's true. Uh, <laughs> thanks for laughing. I appreciate the laughter. Um, I uh, was debriefing one of my um, clients, Marion's her name, and, and you described Marion earlier as picky. That's an understatement. She is extremely picky. Um, we always put the best candidates on her schedule because we know she's so picky, but even they didn't seemed to be good enough. And so we finally got a little frustrated and we said, Marion, would you just share with us, you know, why is it that of the six or eight candidates you interviewed at this um, career conference the last couple of days, how come you didn't pick any of them? And she said, she said, well, Tom, it's not that 
not that hard. She says, it's pretty easy. She said, none of them passed the airplane test. And I gave her a funny look and she smiled and said, that's a new one, right? And I said, yes, please explain. Well, she explained it this way. She, um, she basically, this test is something that she experienced once and then she uses it um, sort of as in a simulation approach whenever she's interviewing a candidate. Here's how it goes. Marion got on an airplane. The plane was supposed to take off in about 20 minutes. They taxied out. There was a delay. She was sitting next to this young man and they chatted during the 20 minutes on the tarmac. And then they chatted for the hour that it took the airplane to finally get a slot to take off. And then they chatted for the two hours of the duration of the flight. And then they didn't have a gate when they landed. So they chatted for another hour before they finally got to the gate. And then they both got off the airplane together, agreed to stay in touch, shook hands and parted ways. Now Marion's airplane test is simply this. Were those last five hours one of the nicest memories she can recall? Or was it one of the most miserable five hour periods of her life? That's the airplane test. Now, what's interesting about the airplane test, Megan, is you, you mentioned something earlier. You've talked about the importance of working with people that you like. The whole concept of likability is so important, yet it's one of the things that we really can't control. You can't make somebody like you. And if you try to make somebody like you, it usually produces the exact opposite result. <laughs> So what you need to do is you need to be genuine, you need to be courteous, you need to be polite, uh, and you need to just engage uh, and, and, and think about this. I'm in the airplane, I'm subjecting myself to the airplane test. What is this person going to feel? How are they going to feel about me? Are they going to, rem they're going to remember me but are they going to remember me for a good or for a bad reason? Or they, and you know, in the case of an, in the interview process, maybe you're just not memorable at all because you're not making any kind of impression. So where that might be better than making a bad impression and being memorable, it's still not going to get you anywhere. So um, I think the airplane test is something that is a good, it's a good story to tell people why it's so important. I've heard about, you know, hiring managers want to hire someone that they can go out and have a beer with. So whatever your indicator or anecdote is for, um, you know, what type of person you want to hire, I think that this is a great story. So I definitely wanted to make sure that we shared it. And um, it's definitely worth something worth having candidates keep in their mind when they go into interview. And again, just goes back to politeness, one of the six P's. Like you said, you can't make people like you, but you can always be polite and generally that will go a long way. Um, you know, people like people that are polite. So I think that that's something that's a good thing to keep in mind. I concur. Uh, if we have time, I'd like to share another anecdote on the subject of being memorable. Yeah, go ahead. I had a um, candidate once, his name is Dan. Dan was an Air Force officer, was stationed at uh, McGuire Air Force Base. Um, he really wanted to find a job in the mid-Atlantic area. He really wanted to work for the telecommunications industry. 
um, he attended one of my career conferences and I set him up to interview with uh, a telecommunications company, one, one of the big four at the time. Um, he interviewed with a guy named Bill. Bill happened to be a, a former army officer that I had placed with this company about four years earlier. Um, I knew Dan was very excited about this job because of the job content, because of the location, because of the industry. So when the interviews were over and I was debriefing Bill, and I said, well, Bill, how did things go? And Dan went down the list and he, he gave me an overview of each candidate that he, that he liked, but he didn't mention Dan. And I said, well, how about Dan? And he goes, Dan, who's Dan? I'm going, you know, Dan, the tall, thin Air Force Academy grad. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he kind of reminds Yeah, he's OK. You know, he kind of reminds me of my dad's old Buick. <laughs> and I looked I looked at Bill and I go, your dad's old Buick. He said, well, yeah, you know, it's sturdy. It's built like a tank. It starts every morning, but it's never going to pass anybody. So. I had to share that feedback the next day with Dan. He was obviously very disappointed. Now I want you to fast forward three weeks later. It's another career conference. Dan is attending. So is Bill. Dan says, can I get back on Bill's schedule? I say, no. He said, no. And once they say no, it's I'm sorry, I just can't do it again. So Dan being the um, enthusiastic, aggressive self-starter, he paid attention to the company schedules and he timed it so that he and Bill happened to be riding on the elevator at the same time. Just the two of them. And as the elevator was going up, Bill looks over and there's Dan and Dan looks at him and they, they make eye contact and Dan sticks out his hand and says, Bill, remember me? I'm your dad's old Buick. Well, the moral of that story is uh, Bill hired Dan and they are now both executive vice presidents with that telecommunications company. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. To hear the rest of my conversation with Tom Wolf, author of Out of Uniform, Your Guide to a Successful Military to Civilian Career Transition, make sure you listen to part two next week. Thanks for listening.